Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning. Welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. On today's show, we have Ty Anderson, Growth Director for Syrup Marketing, who is also a Grammy Award-winning musician. So welcome to the show, Ty. Great. Thank you. Great to be here. So as always, I start the show off by asking about trends in your um, industry or area of expertise that you think CEOs should know about. So tell us a little bit about marketing or music if you want to. Yeah, well, I think my unique perspective is I really I really see lessons that go back and forth between the two. I think there's, you know, a lot of us would, you know, in the business world, you'd, you'd look at music and you go, man, I, w- I wish I could connect with my customers the way that Taylor Swift does. <laughs> I mean, I think I, I, don't, I think you could line up a hundred CEOs and they'd all say, "Absolutely, we would love to be a little bit more like Taylor Swift." Because I think musicians, at their best, the way that they can inspire their customers to be just those raving fans, it's it, it's unlike anything else. I mean, what other you know? How many of us? You know, and they're out there, but there's people out there. You see a company like Disney. There's people that they'll dress themselves head to toe in Disney and they'll they'll decorate their house Disney. And you even see that with a brand like Coca-Cola, some of these. And certainly with with Apple, there's these brands where people are fans of the brand, much like a recording artist. They'll line up for the grand openings, just like people we used to, you know, camp out at Turtles for concert tickets. <laughs> so I'm dating myself big time. But um, <laughs> Turtles, I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't heard that in a so long time. I know. Time. I thought I'd go really old school. <laughs> go so, way back. Yeah. But um, so I think that Musicians, unlike any other, they're, they, they're able to transition um, from just acquiring a new customer to turning that customer into a raving fan, a fan for life, someone that's going to go, my hairstyle, my wardrobe, everything, I'm going to base it on this artist. And so I think a lot of businesses find themselves right now going, you know, we've tried the advertising thing. And to varying degrees of success. And, and, and there's an aspect of it where, you, you know, people will talk about a funnel and go, well, if we can just get this many impressions and we know that'll trickle down to some new business. But it's always an expensive proposition. And so I think sort of our unique value at Syrup and certainly from my perspective coming from 20 years in music is going, yeah, it's one thing to acquire that, that, first, that first sale and get a new customer. But how can we turn them into a raving fan? And how can we turn them, you know, into a fan for life, customer loyalty? How can we turn them into a champion, someone who's willing to, to put their own name on the line to make a, refer, a referral for your company? And that's where scalability and longevity really lie on that, on that where, where most businesses stop. Um, that's where we're encouraging businesses to really focus their attention. So what are some specific recommendations that you have for CEOs who are looking to turn their customers into raving fans? I think it's a lot of it, you know, it starts off on a, you know, a philosophical, and that's where I love using examples, metaphors, sometimes for business. But so a big thing I say is you want to talk to your customers differently. And it's something where a lot of businesses, they, they look at, they look at marketing as just one effort. So, Hey, we're going to have this advertising in the market and it's just one message and this is going to resonate. But the reality is, as you develop a relationship with your customer, um, there should be more familiarity. And so I'll start with a, a big example and then break it down to a specific tool. So, you know, 
I go into the same coffee shop six times a week. When I walk in, they go, hey, Ty, welcome back. Good to see you. You know, I can order a coffee or not order a coffee. There's, there's times where I, if I'm going to cater, I always use that coffee shop. But they know my name. And it makes me feel good just that they know my name. And uh, maybe it's my ego or whatever it is. It's just a, but, it, and I love, I kind of find myself, I, I don't try a hundred different restaurants anymore. I go to the same four or five because part of my experience that I love is when I walk in, they go, hey, Ty, welcome back. Yeah. I feel so guilty that like, just by saying my name and writing my name on a cup of coffee, like I want to go back, <laughs> but it's but true. It, it's a, it's a basic human thing. We we're in this world of, I saw a picture today on Twitter and it was showing you know, it's so exciting. I know this is a rabbit trail, but you see what's happening with virtual reality. And mm-hmm. that's all this tech buzz of this coming. But it showed this picture of a bunch of business people in suits sitting in chairs with their phones strapped to a VR device. And it said, whatever future looks like this, we have to avoid it at all costs. And <laughs> it's true that there's like this dehumanizing element. Even though we're all connecting, we're all just looking at these screens all the time. So when you can have these human touch points it actually re- really moves the needle and it makes you want to engage with that brand. So you apply the same thing to a business and you go, okay, as simple as, you know, when you're collecting information, a lot of times on your website, you know, you set up a form and it's going to be, you're just collecting an, an email and a name form. And maybe it consolidates that into, you know, you just have their full name in the email. So when you send them their email, it says, you know, dear Ty Anderson. Well, it actually is a lot more personal if it says dear Ty. I mean, just that, just something that simple as, as having a first name conversation, the way that you would with a friend instead of the way that, that you would with, with a business associate. So I think it's treating people like they're your guest, treating people like when they're on your website, they're your guest. If someone came into your home, you'd welcome them and you probably wouldn't start immediately talking about yourself. You'd welcome them. You'd ask them questions, how their day is going, uh, what's going on with them. And so there's ways with tools that we can, we can do that digitally. There's smart little things like Facebook pixels. We can see where they've been and we can see where they're going. There's uh, great tools like CRM. We can collect information. And there's also, you know, once someone's done business with you, you're going to have all kinds of information on them. You're going you're gonna to know their specific zip code. You're gonna, and probably along the sales process, you're going to know um, specific, some specific things they're interested in. So you can make your conversation after that first sale, you can stop selling and you can just start having an engaging conversation. So when it's time in the right cadence, and that's something we can talk about too, is cadence is huge, is in the right cadence, in, in the right frequency, in the right time, we, we've earned the right to, to ask them to re-engage with our brand. Mm. And so tell us about cadence then. Yeah, I think that Again, it's finding it, it's it's applying everything. There's there's two mottos we try to we try to use: be human, and be courageous. Um, I was at a I was at a um, a marketing and sales conference, and they were talking about how great the tools are. That as soon as somebody was on their website, um, you know, if, if they hit the CTA, immediately they had their systems dialed down where that would generate a phone call right away from their sales rep to engage with that potential potential client. And no matter what data that people are, that they could generate, if that's effective or not, it's not human. It, it, it freaks you out and it's creepy. It's, right. And we have to put that filter to everything of going, hey, if someone is just in curious mode, it's just, and so we have to break it down to experiences and then apply it to technology and not just do what we can, but do what we should. It mm-hmm. comes down to manners. You know, we all say, if we walk into a, if we walk into a store, 
If we walk into a retail store, let's say we walk into Neiman Marcus, and as soon as you walk in the door, a salesperson jumps on you and says, hello, welcome to Neiman Marcus. Where can I point you today? I'd like to show you about our new special. We have a, this uh, fur coat was $3,000 and now it's a great deal. It's only $2,400. Well, you're probably going to say, I'm just browsing. I'm just browsing. Nine times out of 10, even if you were actually really interested in that, you're going to say just browsing if they, if they, if they sick you when you walk in the door. But a lot of times companies are, they're going, well, we can do that now digitally. So let's do it. And it's not human. It's not right. Which you want to say, hey, welcome to Neiman Marcus. We'd love to get you a cup of coffee while you, while you shop. Just make yourself at home. If you need anything, we're right here. Mm-hmm. And so applying that same kind of filter digitally, you see it starts to make a human connection. And it's in, it all starts to reflect on your brand personality. And how do people like begin to figure out what that right cadence is? Yeah, a lot of it is you, it, there's trial and error. I mean, fortunately, we have you know, as, as we're doing this for, we have about 24 retained clients at Syrup. So, um, you know, fortunately, if someone signs up now, they're, they're standing on the shoulders of all our mistakes. So you, and you know, a lot of, so we find from, um, and, and that is where you can use data, but you know, if you're communicating to a client only once a month, there's a lot of data that shows that that's really not a whole lot better than not communicating at all. Mm. It's just not enough. And, um, but yet if you're communicating to uh, a, let's call them a prospect or even an existing client, if you're communicating to them uh, daily, it, it's too much and it, and it wears them out and it's not special and it, it's not going to be open. So it's, uh, it, it depends on the, and we break the communication down into the kind of communication it is. So if you're, if you're making your communication, especially let's say you're a, a, a B2B service, if, if you're a B2B service company and you, and you have a client, well, we, I think that it needs to be three out of four communications need to be things that are just adding value mm. without even an attempt to sell them anything. And then I think then about that fourth communication, you, you know, it's, it's about time to let them know about something else that can help them that you offer. And if you're truly adding value, then they're willing to engage with you. And so when you, when you get, um, so it, that's sort of that frequency and cadence is going to depend on what the, the company is, the service is going to depend on the level of, of what you're trying to reach. So we're going to, we're going to plot that out specific to what the company is. But again, just apply a human filter. I mean, it's as simple as asking a CEO, asking their marketing department to go, just put yourself in the customer's position. You know, what do you, let's, let's map out what would be the ideal customer journey. What would be, if you were the customer, how often would you want to be told about this? And a lot of times the CEO is the wrong person to answer the question because mm-hmm. they have what's called CEO distortion. You probably see it all the time on your radio show where they come in and go, are, are, the company you're talking about, it's not the company I see when I go to the <laughs> website. It's not the, it, they can get a little out of touch with the way their customers feel about them and the way that they feel about their brand. So it's finding that, it, it is finding that magic recipe um, for um, for that customer and relationship with the brand. But a lot of it too is you need to have the right pace. You know, this is what a lot of, what most companies are guilty of is there's this really aggressive marketing um, before the sale. And, you know, they will, they'll just wear you out anywhere they can. It's emails, it's phone calls, it's Twitter. They're just trying to get you in it. And then you, a lot of times, you know, people do business. Sometimes they just relent like, okay, yeah, just fine. Just leave me alone. And then the company says, well, you know, 
we don't want to really want to even communicate to them anymore because we don't we don't want to remind them of this toxic experience we had on the sales cycle. <laughs> so they go, so they go, you know, and I think like an industry that can be really guilty of that is um, say like you're in the insurance industry. And I know a lot of times it's like you sign up for, uh, you know, an auto policy and they know there's so much competition out there and there's so much, um, you know, there's so much commercials, there's so much competition that they, I, I almost feel like they don't want to talk to you because it'll just prompt you to go, Ooh, <coughs> you know what? I did see, I was with Allstate. Let me see what State Farm has to offer. Or, okay. So it's like, if we can just get you on auto draw and then not talk to you, then everything's good. So the only time they're going to talk to you is when it's time to renew your policy. But the reality is when you go meet with any specific insurance agent, everyone I've met was like, yeah, they do car, but Hey, we also we, we do auto, but we do home and we do life. And we'd love to get you into these investment products. So their real value is in the upsell, resell, cross-sell. It's engaging you to trust them with a much more, a, a much larger percentage of your wallet and in, in more services. That's how they really grow and have and sustained growth as a business. So the reality is you, you look at it differently and go, imagine how wherever you engaged with an insurance agent, if you engage with them on an auto policy, well, imagine if once a month, once every two weeks, I'd say once every two weeks could even be a, a great cadence. You're sending them something for three months in a row, once every two months, just, hey, thought you, this would interest you. I know that when we, uh, when we were talking, you were talking about your Kids are involved in the youth soccer program. Here's a great here's a great article I found how it affects your area. Here's something I see about the parks. They're always embedded in the community, so just these great touch points. And then all of a sudden, let's say it's been three months, and you go, you know what? It's the right time. Love to tell you, um, you know, we're actually able to bundle you some great savings if you'd consider also adding the uh, you know your home policy to us. So there's it's just relationship. Uh, it's just it's it's simply just relationship, and a lot of times. I think in our businesses, especially the bigger they get, um, the less human they, they become. And you see the really great brands and the really great companies, they just, it, it just feels human at, at every touch point. Yeah. So you've talked a lot about the being human part, but what does being courageous look like for mm -hmm. you? Being courageous for us, and you know, maybe we can get away with it because we're in the small, medium business market, but being courageous is it's the title of your email. It's going, you know, let, let's get their attention. Let's be bold in the message and let's speak, you know, let's speak in a way that maybe, uh, with the sense of humor. Um, and some brands just are not funny. <laughs> <laughs> some brands just don't have a sense of humor, but, um, I even saw that, um, you know, we'll, we'll do, we'll put in our titles, you know, something, where it's just funny. We know it's going to get their attention. I'll send, you know, even, you know, doing in a business development role, there's times as I'm reaching out to, um, to, to a prospect, let's say we've had a first meeting and, um, you know, th there's some interest, but we, we have to say, Hey, is there potential to, to really work with this? I've identified some problems. Well, you know, I might, I might come out, you know, I might send them an article of someone who's doing it really well in their business, but with, with, a headline that says, you know, has their name in it and says, you know, I think you could be doing this much better. Or, um, you, you know, I sent a whole bunch of prospects one time, an article that I wrote on LinkedIn, but it said, you know, you kind of remind me of Adele. <laughs> and it was, and so it was kind of like, what? 
And then I went through and I listened like that. She had just put out her album on Street Week and she was crushing. And I said, you know, despite downward industry trends, she absolutely just crushed it and set sales records. I could see the same thing for your client. Now, I sent that to 175 people. But because I had their first name in the email and the first name in the field, every single one of them in their responses, even one of them was from a, a sales automation company themselves. Every one of them replied. To, I got like an 80% open rate within four hours. And everyone replied to me as if I had written it just to them. And so that's the kind of, it's, that, it's, it's just, again, I think being courageous is a human quality. It's making things conversational, but, but not be afraid to maybe be, you know, there's that line where it doesn't have to go into controversial. It doesn't have to go to crude, but it can just be kind of like, hey, if they're looking through their feed of 100 emails, how could it be fun and get their attention? I, a, a very simple example, um, we were with a company um, called Hardwoof Flooring. And uh, so we, we branded the company. They started, it, it was a hardwood floor company, had just been in the industrial space. They wanted to be a consumer-facing brand. So incredible product, didn't scratch, um, really hard to dent. You'd have to get like really heavy weights to drop on it. So just all kinds of technology into it. But they came to us like, hey, we want to sell this directly. We, we don't have a brand. And so we, we kind of did the study and we said, you know, we looked at the market, we looked at the demographics, looked at all these things and said, you're target audience is dog owners. The, those are the people that, that, you know, really, those are the people whose floors are getting ruined by their dogs. They, they're the ones that are worried about, uh, you know, refinishing their floors every few years. And you know what? There's actually a high percentage of them are actually really high earners mm. when, you, when you look at, especially even certain breeds. And then there's these breeds association and we even built into their logo. I think it has a golden retriever, <laughs> which is the, the breed that you most associate with just loyalty. And, and quality. So we, we built the logo, we built the website, very simple website. But then as we're doing their, their paid social and doing these ads, when they go to the call to action, where we're going to collect some information to continue the conversation, well, guess what? We don't ask for their name and email. We ask for their dog's name and their email. Now, when we send them emails on behalf of the company, they're not addressed to them. They're addressed to their dog. <laughs> so, hey, Skip, aren't you tired of your, your boss swatting you on the nose for you scratching the floor? We know it's not your fault. You should probably encourage them to buy hardwood floors. It'll make your day a whole lot better. Well, it's human. It's courageous. It's funny. It's a funny mail to open. There's great imagery in it. And, uh, and it, it's just, it's bolder than the average, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter if we, if all of your data is great and all your points are great. If no one opens the email, if no one's engaging with you because it's not human, it's not courageous, it doesn't get their attention, then what's the point? Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting. The, the lens, I'm a, a strategist. Um, my company does strategic planning for small, medium-sized businesses as well. And so I'm wondering, what are, how does all of this intersect with business planning and strategic planning for your clients? Yeah, for us, it's integral. We, the clients we work with, um, you know, for a lot of them, we, we are their marketing team if they're able to, to solely market digitally. Um, for others, we sort of, we, we kind of represent that, that digital marketing chunk of their larger marketing budget. But for us, we, we almost become in our system, which I, I could break down a little bit of our, of our steps, but in our system, we, we almost become like the operating system for their business. And, and that's where I feel like um, it's really cool because it, it's so energizing uh, for their business. I was talking, I was talking, you know, I was practicing what I preach yesterday and calling on some of the clients that 
are already won. They're already, they're already retained clients for our company. So, you know, doing a business development role, I'm the promise maker, right? And then my team's the promise keepers. But also I think how often does you engage with the salesperson and then they stop talking to you? You know, you get passed on to customer service, but I'm the one that established that relationship. So it, it makes sense that I, at a regular touch point, and that's another way we would use automation is I get an email reminder that, Hey, it's been two months. It's time for you to reach back out to this client, you know, acknowledging. And so automation isn't just about it. You know, I think a lot of times we look at automation, it's really scary. It's almost like if once it hits this deadline, ding, this thing's going out, whether we can stop it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also just about creating the right internal prompts. You know, I'm sure in your business, you go, you know what, it, there's, there's the challenge of I need to go find out new clients. I need to go, there's ways I need to market what I do. But, you know, as part of it, like, well, your real, you know, what's going to keep the lights on is retaining your clients and even maybe some of them engaging, yeah. you know, engaging you further. Well, it can be very easy to forget to talk to them in your quest for new clients. So we, we build out, again, like I was talking about, like, what is the best customer journey? But it doesn't stop at the sale. It's like, what, what, what would make sense when they first join with you? At what time should they be growing in that relationship? And then ultimately, when's the right time to make an ask? And this is what we're leading to. Is, you know, I'll start with the end in mind, as they talk about in, in Seven Habits, is the end in mind. What's the end goal that all of us want? We'd all like to not have to spend money on marketing. Mm-hmm. We'd like, we'd all like a business where we get so many referrals from our satisfied customers that we really don't need to spend any money to, to tell people about us. So right. that, I mean, I know it's, it's radio, but everyone's nodding like, yes, that's what we want. So with, with the end in mind, it's, um, are we just going to hope that they turn into champions because, um, we do a great job? Well, I mean, the honest answer is yes. That's what most of us do. But what about instead of just hope, which we know hope is awesome, but it's not a strategy. What if we have some regular engagement, some that says, let's move them to a champion and we have some steps to do it. So I'm happy to share you. I'll give you our magic formula if you want. So well, you're, you're looking <laughs> eager to share. With I really, today. I really do want to share it with you guys, but um, I'll break it. I, I, I love, you know, for me, what I'm going to, what I'll do is I'll, uh, I'll talk about dating. I'll talk about relationships because that it's the, Valentine's Day. It's Valentine's Day coming up. Absolutely. So although this will air after Valentine's okay. Day, but. it's it's fresh on our minds. So I was uh, I was sharing with some college students at uh, Kennesaw State, and you know, so it, you start the class, and they're kind of like, you know, how do you get their attention? And so by the end of the step, by making it about dating, I had everyone's attention. Of course. So I said, you know, the the first the first step is you need to connect with someone. So let's say you're at a party and, you know, well, you need to find the person well, first. Well, let's, let's call that connect. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? That's a great point. Cause coming out of for the, with the business, you're not going to be marketable to everyone. Right. So let's say, you know, who are the, who, uh, let's to dating, who would you like to meet, you know, and then how can you best present yourself to be attractive to that person? All those things. We'll, we'll put that on the clarity brand side. So we got all that figured out. We know exactly who we like. And here we found a great place where they're going to be hanging out. So we're, we're at this party. We're at the mixer. You connect with someone. Well, let's say sparks are flying. Now, the last thing you're going to do is just go, well, it was great to meet you. And then hope that maybe in a couple more months, there'll be another event like that. And you'll happen to see that person again. No, of course not. You know, we know in a business world, if you're at a trade show, you're going to collect a business card. If you're going to connect, you need to collect. So in dating, 
you need to get the digits. You need to make sure they're following you on Twitter. You need to make sure you're connected on Snapchat or Instagram. I'm speaking, you know, the kids. We're, we're a little more old school. We'll just, we'll collect a business or just give me your phone number. Speak for yourself. Well, okay. So, <laughs> so some, some way, whether it's a social media or email, or you have to have a way to continue the conversation. And then if you collect, you need to cultivate. And um, when I was when I was uh, sharing this with the college students, it was turning to like a sermon. Cause I was like, you know, ladies, do you want the guy to go right in, you know, for the win and you can define win however you want. I define it as holding hands as the parent of teenage girls. Like, do you, do you want someone to go right for the win? No, it, a real relationship that has, it was most people talk about their relationships with value and that really last and that are meaningful and that, that lead to marriage and family, all of these things, like it, they, they have a cadence to it. Where you know they, a lot of them, you know your your listeners might have a different perspective. That they usually didn't start from a one night stand. They start from there's a great connection. You got some information, and there was cultivation. So then there was a a few texts, a few uh, a few tweets. There's some phone calls. There's a follow up coffee meeting. Finally, let's say you get to a win. This is where it gets really fun. So you get to the win, and you know what what do we call it when when we were kids? You know you're going out, you're going steady, uh, whatever it is. So you're uh, let's even say, uh, you know, I've been married for 18 years. That was a huge win. Uh, you know, I, I definitely outkicked my coverage. So what a huge win. I, it, it wasn't overnight. It was two years of cultivating. Uh, my wife agreed to marry me. Well, after a win, and this is great for Valentine's Day. So post Valentine's Day, there has to be delight. And we define delight as a surprise moment of joy. And so when you look in a relationship and I'm sorry, guys, but flowers on Valentine's Day, are, it's not delight because it's kind of part of the deal. <laughs> it's part of the equation. That's built into the win. If you want to stay married, you better, you know, you have to recognize anniversaries and birthdays and these Hallmark holidays that, that mark the calendar. So it's not enough to just do what it expected. And so we look at it the same way we do it for our businesses. Look, think about a relationship. All of us that are married, all, and, uh, and I'll speak to the men out there. Uh, for our challenge, you need to delight your wife at least four times a year. And you need to... That's f- it? At least. <laughs> I'm talking about a bare minimum. Now I'm talking about an addition. Let's say, let's say built, into the, built into the equation of the win is you're going to parent equally and you're going to, uh, you're, you're going to have regular uh, date nights and times. All that's just part of the relationship. So delight is like at least four times a year, I need to knock my wife's socks off. You need to bring it. I need to bring it where she comes home totally unexpected, not on Valentine's Day. There's flowers. What All about the, for customers though? So this is not dating show. So let's. Well, let me get. To, let me. Oh, the last. So we, yeah. Okay. We get. So after we delight, if you delight, the relationship can grow. Okay. Best relationships get more meaningful. And finally, here's the great last step: is that what, if you've really grown a relationship, then you've earned the right. And this is great for the the dating world. Even if it doesn't work out, if you've done that whole process, where at least you can ask for a referral. So even if it's not going to work out, but if you've been a jerk in that process, there's no way they're going to tell you about to your friends. So you look at those, those steps, connect, collect, cultivate, win. That's where most businesses stop. But if you add the next steps of delight, grow, and champion, that's where you can really sustain and scale your business. So um, that last step of champion, though, is where a lot of people get hung up. You, you've kind of dug in deeper asking about cadence and frequency. I'll give you an example. I, I bought a car. I bought a, uh, a, I was driving all over Atlanta and I, and I had a big pickup truck. It was the luxury of being a rock star. Um, but now that I'm in a business development role and I'm driving all over town, 
the gas mileage just wasn't making sense, you know, and it's hard to park when you're in the city and everything. So I traded in my truck for a Toyota Prius. All right. Very sensible. I can, I can, I can join the green revolution, but it was, it was kind of painful. I mean, I had my truck for 15 (laughs) years and I loved my truck, you know, and I had the stereo dialed in and I, I traded it in for a car that like barely has an engine. You know, it's, it is very challenging. You didn't see the Super Bowl commercial? Was that it was a Prius, wasn't it? I didn't. I didn't see that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So where they, uh, you know, so yes, it has. It becomes a whole different thing. It's not about going fast. It's now you go. How slow can I go to maximize my fuel efficiency? Uh, (laughs) But but I but you know it was it was a hard decision, but it was a really smart decision to make. Well, the next day, I got an email from the the place where I where I purchased the car, and they were asking me to refer a friend to their dealership. As a customer, they didn't bother to ask how I felt about the transaction yet. And so it's a very dangerous thing. Here's a tweetable moment. It's a very dangerous thing to ask your customers to talk about you when you don't know how they feel. So it's got to be a two-step process when you talk about making champions. You need to first know how your customer feels about you. And then second, when you have that information, you need to, at a minimum, split that into two pots of customer service opportunities and then champion creation. And uh, so when you ask someone who's not a fan of you to talk, they will. And that's your bad Yelp review. And that's your, you know, that's, that's your, this toxicity in the marketplace that, you know, I've heard some studies, some data say it takes 10 positive uh, comments to counterweight one negative comment. And uh, so it's, it's really important to not, there's, there's, there's some people along the way that you're not going to have delighted. You're somewhere along the way that you just missed it with them. Even in the wind, they, it, wasn't, it didn't quite line up. The last thing you want them to do is go tell their friends about you. You want to go, man, let me get an opportunity to know how we missed the mark with them, see if we can rectify it. And even in that, it helps to repair the relationship. But let's say, you know, if, I, if you find out from your customer and they say, you know, so we deploy the net promoter score. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I actually wrote it down. Okay. So we, so we deploy the net promoter score. Um, we, we deploying that, you know, usually about twice a year for, for our customers. And so, you know, a little bit for, for your audience, I, you know, I think you have an informed audience, but, you know, the Bain Consultancy developed this question. What's the best question you can ask a, cust- a customer to see how they feel about you? And, you know, they came up with, you know, probably, you know, a couple million dollars per syllable, they, you know, <laughs> all the psychology testing, you know, that question is how likely are you to refer us to a friend or family member? And, you know, you can tweak it to a, to a colleague or peer or however, but when you get that score, you know, the, the basic science of it, you have that one through six are detractors, seven through eight, just neutral and nine through tens are, are your, you know, you can have. Your, your fans. And listeners, you'll remember that in December, we had um, a couple guests on who are net promoter experts. So absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So that was a little refresher course. And different ways to calculate it, you can subtract your detractors from your, uh, from your fans and you, you come up with your score. But just by and large, um, once you know that, just because someone says that they give you a 10, you know, how likely are, 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 are you to tell someone else about CEO exclusive? And they go, I'm a 10. Well, but guess what? They're also a 10 for their favorite band. And also a 10 for their favorite restaurant they were at last night. And they're also a 10 for, for their church. And they're also a 10 for their favorite sports team. 
there's so many you don't own that relationship you know you're you have this relationship with your clients but they're also out there interacting with all all kinds of different brands all kinds of different services but if they indicate a 10 that means they will tell their friends about you if you give them the tools to do it and that's a step again is you know in the same way that it's almost like if your your detractors are eager to talk sometimes your 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 best fans can be a little hesitant so we design specific programs that we also call marketing down there to go, hey, how do we create the right steps? And it doesn't always have to be, if someone's a 10, doesn't mean you have to bribe them. It doesn't have to be, you know, I, I was grabbing a cup of coffee and, here in the office and, you know, in, 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 uh, in a lot of the shared office spaces, you know, it's $500 if you bring a friend. Well, if someone's really a fan, you don't have to bribe them. They'll do it because you've taken such good care of them. Mm. And uh, so along the way, then you come up the right way. Maybe that's just, you know, maybe at scale, you know, a lot of these businesses, especially, you know, in Atlanta, they go, well, uh, uh, you know, could they do it to all their customers? No, but when you weed it down to customers that have been with you for over six months, they give you a nine or 10, maybe that does prompt a call from the CEO just to go, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate your business. You know, part of how we're able to make ourselves affordable is not spending a lot of money on marketing. If there's anyone that you could tell about us, we'd really appreciate it. Mm. Imagine that. Imagine a CEO getting off their throne and talking to the lowly customers as if we were all in this together. Right, right, right. It's very interesting. So one of the things I, I wanted to ask you uh, when when we were doing the pre- preparation for this interview, I you know mentioned being the starving artist and you quickly corrected my misconception and said, no, my band was very successful. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about what it's like to run a band as a business. And, yeah. you know, and also like the music industry, which, as you said, like most people are tanking and dying and mm-hmm. like, you know, et cetera. Um, tell us a little bit about trends in, in that industry, because you're still involved in, in music, certainly. Yeah, I um, it's funny because more and more just being in Atlanta and being around like a lot of the action at Atlanta Tech Village and 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 some of these places where you see these startups and more and more startups, Alpharetta is starting to really boom with startups. It so reminds me of when we were starting the band. Because what does a startup need? Like what is, like you take all the different skill sets and all these things, but it kind of comes down to hustle, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, real. I mean, it is for real. This, you're, you're laying out your, your livelihood on this. You know, it's the, the you got to hustle. And that's what it takes to, to break a band. I mean, I remember I was 16 years old. I joined the band. It also takes some people believing in you. So my parents believed in me. So much so that they allowed me to dump my college money into um, recording and duplicating our first recording project. So at the time, now you can do it for about 75 cents. Um, <laughs> the time, it, it would cost $3.41 to, to make a CD. This was 1994. Uh, it cost $3.41 to make the CD with a four-color insert. So I took... $3,441, which was at the time was going to be able be enough to pay for um, my first, I think, six months at Georgia Tech. And so I took it and I, you know, every parent's dream, mom, dad, forget about the money for tech. I'm going to go take that. And I'm going to, you know, I had mowed lawns, all kinds of stuff to save this money. I came from one of eight. They weren't paying for it. So, um, so I, I paid for all these CDs. So now I had a thousand CDs for our band. Well, we went to go work at a summer camp. This is great. So we're in North Georgia, beautiful. We're campers by day. Surely, like, we're going to form such great relationships with all these kids. 2,400 kids came through there through that summer. So I said, we're going to have such great relationship with all these campers. They're all going to buy our CD. Well, what we found is 
we got there and then the camp said, Hey, I'm sorry, but you know, we need to sell our own t-shirts in the camp store. We have our, that's part of our budget. We, you can't be selling your CD in the camp store. So all the, you know, the parents would load up their kids with an account that they could just like, you know, you know, that they could just, they could go in and pick it and we just pull from their account. I was like, so, okay, now we can't even sell our CD. And I'm like, I'm, I've already enrolled at Georgia Tech in the fall. So what am I going to do? So I said, Hey, I talked to the camp director. I said, can can we work out a deal here? And uh, I said, can I stand on the road, um, on the gravel road? as people are leaving after they've picked up their kids. So there's no more opportunities for you to do business in the camp store. But can, can I stand by the road and just give one last, one chance to sell the CD to the kids? And he said, yes. So um, I was thinking you were going to cut him in. That's what I would have done. Mm, that, yeah. I, see, I needed you. <laughs> <laughs> I needed a great strategist. But, it's, but instead, I had that, that startup hustle. I wasn't thinking about hiring a consultant. Maybe I should have. I went and... Uh, uh, so 18 years old, I stood on the side of the road, stopped every car that would leave camp every week. And I sold all thousand CDs through the car windows uh, to those kids. So $15 a piece you could do at the time. So I turned that $34.41 into $15,000. All right. Paid myself back, got some more money in the band. We were able to use that to start a merchandise line. Um, from that, we started. But the biggest thing we did. Did you go to tech? I went to tech. I okay. uh, went for a year. And then by that point, after the year, some of the things we did in that first year as a startup were enough that I ha- got to have the great conversation a with two my- two and a half or three times return is pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, the other thing we started doing, this was before there was just starting to be websites, you know, in, the, in around 94, 95. And so, and no one, had, even CD Baby, I think, was just starting to come out any idea of even how to do e-commerce. Mm-hmm. So- we didn't have a website. We, no one thought about email lists. But what I did do is at all of our shows, I had a sign up by our merchandise table. And our big pitch for the night was not, hey, please buy our CD. It was, we hoped that they would do that just if we did, gave a good concert. But we would say, hey, what we really want is sign up for our mailing list. And we would get everyone's name and address. And so my dating life consisted of my now wife and I Licking stamps. No, we would we would get a meter, but, but making <laughs> making postcards and mailing them to our fans to tell them about upcoming concerts. And that's the reason. That's like, why did you guys make it in the music business? It's because we talked to our customers. We told them about shows because we got because we would tell people about it. Well, guess what? I could go to the promoter and cut a better deal. I know I can bring five hundred people out here. So you don't need to do as much promotion. Give us more money. So I was able to cut better deals. We were able to pack the houses. From us packing the houses, we had three or four record companies coming to look at us. And be, we, we built demand by building our own audience. Mm-hmm. And such, so many lessons there, you know, even as these companies are going like, well, you know, their real goal is to get acquired. And it's like, well, you're going to be a whole lot more acquirable if you don't need to be acquired because you're actually out there making money, you know? So if you really look at that hustle of like, man, let's make this happen, then, then you're really going to increase those chances that other people are going to want to work with you. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why I tell new artists all the time. They're like, they're like, well, I just want to get signed to a record deal. I'm like, any record deal that you can get right now that, you know, with any success, you're going to absolutely resent because it's going to be horrible for you. But if you can really build your own audience then you're going to have the leverage to get a record deal where they can actually be a good partner and, you know, and, and help you find success. Hmm. So definitely in the early days, it's a startup. The trends I see now is that I still think um, Taylor Swift is, is the exception to the rule because I'm 
I'm a total Swifty. I've, I've like, I went to her show. I wrote a blog on it on LinkedIn. So, you know, yeah. I was looking at some of your blogs on, on LinkedIn. You know, you do a LinkedIn blog, you have your network. If you get a couple hundred views, something is clicking, you know, it's resonating. So I wrote this blog about Taylor Swift, 10 ways to run your business more like Taylor Swift. You can check it out on my LinkedIn page. I actually saw that one. So 15,000 views. So it's like totally resonated. You know, people were sharing it around, but I, so I'm a total Swifty. I love the way she's running her business. I love the way that she talks to her customers. Mm. I love, there, there's so many steps that we should all not be discounting her, but learn. How much from does her. she gross a year? Do you know? I know her last tour um, was over $200 million and she will be a billionaire by 30. Um, so I think she's 26 now um, on our current path. She just announced that she's about to release a game um, it, the, but the way that she runs her business is incredible. Every one of her 145 people that travel with her would take a bullet for her. every one of them, because she is so, you talk about, um, you know, I'm sure with CEOs, some, one of your topic is like building that internal culture, building those employee loyalty. Without exception, every single person on the show says that it's their team that makes them successful. She, well, here, here's it in action. Taylor <laughs> Swift was a country artist, you know, you, and so. I forgot. That's right. Yeah. She came out of country. She didn't fire a single band member for this last album, completely pop. This, this, the industry way would say, well, like, hey, you got it. You're going to move more pop. You got to work with this person, that person. She believed in her team. She gave them time to adapt to the new musical style. And she kept every single one of her musicians, same loyalty. Those, those people will take a bullet for. Now, is she really the, the chief executive of her operation or does she have somebody running her, her business for her? She has a team. She has a manager. She's surrounded herself. Her, her family's very involved and not in the typical momager role. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she, she absolutely, there's, um, there's, there's a lot of decisions that you see where it's her. Her decision to not put her album on and let it be streamed when it first when it first was available, nineteen eighty nine, it um, that was her decision. And but she also moved the needle with Apple for every artist out there because of her stand because she had enough leverage to do it. There's so many things along the way where she's absolutely carving her own path. And but the things about her which are also absolutely her is I probably everyone in here and probably every one of your listeners has seen a picture of. Taylor doing something to give back. So there was a picture after the show at the Georgia Dome. It's in my blog where she's, she's hanging out with a cancer patient. And I saw a news story. Her tour was over. She was coming back from Australia. She was in LA. She was flying back to Nashville. And, but all of a sudden, you know, kind of this news story where Taylor Swift spends the entire day in a Denver hospital. And so she's on the plane and she sees a these tweets of people that are reaching out to her like, oh my gosh, this little girl's dying. I'm going to cry a little bit, but this little girl's dying. Taylor, it would make her life if you spend time with her. So she, so she, uh, re, <laughs> so the plane changes course, goes to Denver and she spends the day with this fan. Like who does that? And, but, um, you know, what's the, what's the value of that as far as marketing? Well, these, these stories get heard all over the world and she has such incredible goodwill um, but it's her. It's not. It, it's, it's not disingenuous. It's That's not it. disingenuous. Is the key. And so you see a lot of CEOs. Yes, we want to give back, but they they don't make it a priority. They don't make time to do it. For Taylor, after that show in Atlanta, and this is some, here's an inside perspective from the music business. So after there's a there's the picture of her with this cancer patient after the show, and she's on her knees with her. She's looking at her right in the eye. When Taylor meets you, she says, "Hey, my name is Taylor. What's your name?" 
I mean, there's a lesson for every business right there, right? Ask your customer's name, uh, tell, call them by their name, look at them in the eye, get on their customer level. Don't put yourself above them. There's so many metaphors there, but this is the part that killed me was it was after the show. And let's say she spent five minutes with the fan. Have you ever heard the expression, Elvis has left the building? <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me tell you where it comes from, because everyone's heard it. But it, where, where it came from was Elvis was one of the first people to fly in a private plane, one of the first recording artists. And he would literally get where for the encore, the last song, Elvis would, you know, do his poses. He'd go out the back door. The band would keep playing. The band finishes the song and say, Elvis has left the building. When the time they were finishing the song, he was in the car with police escorts, taking him to the airfield. And a lot of times, by the time the band hits the last note, he's already up in the air. Because the last thing Elvis needed was to get stuck in a traffic jam with, you know, the, with all the punters at the show. Right. So with Taylor, that five minutes at the Georgia Dome, on her knees with, that, with her fan, and that's, that picture was picked up by the Today Show, by USA Today, by international media, I think it's probably 400 million impressions within a week. Right. But that five minutes didn't cost her five minutes. It probably cost her two hours. Because if you know, trying to leave the Georgia Dome after a sold-out event, 56,000 people, even with the police escort, within five minutes of the event ending, it was complete logjam. I know because I sat in that traffic for as long as I was at the show, I sat in the traffic afterwards trying to get home. Right. It was worth it to her. I was talking to one of our managers and he was like, yeah, it's kind of annoying. We didn't get home. You know, we were just going to hop on the jet and go to Nashville and we didn't get home till three in the morning because we got stuck in this traffic jam, but it was worth it to Taylor. And so you can talk to a CEO and they go, yes, it's a priority. We want to give back, but do, are they willing to at a cost of their own time or are they, or are they going like, well, it's certainly, you know, and you see even people go, no, it's, you know, I have my family time or whatever, but like, do you really love your customers? Mm. I just come, maybe it's that simple. She loves her fans. She'll, if she sees her, someone bullying one of her fans, you know, she'll get on and like defend them. <laughs> and then that person is so shamed, you yeah. know, it's, but, um, so but it's funny. That's a great question. Do, do CEOs really love their customers? Do they love them? You know, I mean, and <clears throat> do they love them more than, than themselves? Do they love them? You know, and, and so there's, there's some great companies that do. Um, there's a, there's a company, um, you know, big successful company in Atlanta, Jackson health, Jackson healthcare, and a lot of that, uh, staffing and, um, in specific to the hospital industry. And it's really this collection of 15 or 16 different companies all under the Jackson umbrella. When you go, so I was having a meeting up there and they have about six, six or 700 employees, I think. So really full parking lot. And I was like, you know, as we were talking before the show, I like to be on time. This day I was cutting a little close. So I, I got there enough to be five minutes, five minutes early. But when I pulled up at the parking lot, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be on time for this meeting. Mm. It's totally crowded. Well, I, you go through their parking lot. It's all crowded. Well, then I was, first, I was like, well, I'll just take a chance. And I went by the very front row by the building. And there it was. It was like visitor and guest parking right by the front door with these, it was just like, you know, Ariel and the little mermaid. Ah, <laughs> like it, they're so beautiful, these parking spaces. So I got in, I was on time for my meeting at the end of the meeting. I said, it's so cool to see, you know, I, I was just telling her the story. I was like, you know, I would have been late, but you're, but I love that you have the visitor parking. And then when I walked in, the first thing you saw was that is this beautiful fountain. And there's a plaque that says dedicated to all of our employees. And uh, like that, that, so I, my impression of this company is like, well, there's a visitor parking. They care about me. The first message they're telling me is they care about their employees. 
So I'm sharing this with, with the person who runs one of these divisions. They said, well, I, it, so I was contrasting. I said, a lot of times you go to a business and it's like CEO parking, you know, right by the front, COO. Um, I mean, even in the church, how bad is this? You go to a church, head pastor parking, pastor's wife parking, guest pastor's park, by like in the premium spot, right? And uh, she said, well, our, um, you know, our, our CEO has a, has a reserved parking space, but it, it's in, because he needs to have a parking space when he gets here, but it, it's the very worst parking space in the entire lot. And it just struck me, it was like, okay, there's a company that gets servant leadership. It's the leadership is serving their employees and honoring their employees so that they can in turn go serve and honor their customers. And I think that's how it's really supposed to be. And a lot of us buy into being rock stars. We're the CEO. So we, we invest more in securities than ushers. It's about keeping people away, you know, we, than, than letting people have access and making yourself available. And your, your employees are there to serve you, not you there to, to serve the employees. And so I'm on the lookout because I tell you, those are the kind of companies we want to work with. When, when I see a company that, that, you know, servant leadership isn't just like a, a weekend a retreat and, and, a, and a trust fall, but they're going like, you know, <laughs> I, I really love these people and we really love our customers. I mean, just if there was no other takeaway, just, I mean, think about that. If it wasn't even, if it wasn't just a strategy to increase your bottom line, but if you really looked at it like, do I love my customers? It probably change the way we market. It probably even change some of the products we offer because we go and get back to most of us started. Even these big CEOs, they started from an idea. That idea was usually to make someone's life better, but sometimes we lose it. We lose it along the way. Absolutely. So tell us, Ty, about anything that's new happening at Syrup Marketing or in your life that you think listeners would be interested in hearing more about. Yeah, I think, you know, at Syrup, there's, there's really two sides to what we do. We we probably put under the the heading of of clarity and and the heading of connection. So on the clarity side, we're we're a brand shop. So we're we're going to help you start with your purpose, your identity, your uniqueness, and really articulate that. You you got to use words. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna have some of those words written out. What's your mission statement? What's that statement you can you can fly on a flag that everyone in your organization can salute. That is that you know cuts through the distortion. It's really who you are. Who is your unique audience? You know, back to that dating metaphor. You better narrow it down. If you just just say, "I would like to connect with all women," <laughs> you're probably going to have a, a hard time doing that. So you go. You have to go. Who is that audience we can uniquely serve? How can we uniquely serve them? From that, this is where the magic is. I don't have the skill. Somehow, our team of graphic designers, we take that mission statement and that purpose, that identity, those flavors of a brand, and they, they make these beautiful logos that we know that 95% of communication is nonverbal. They have the magic touch to be able to do it. I don't. That's why I'm out in the, uh, in the marketplace having, having coffee with potential clients because our designers blow us away. But we turn that into a visual identity, and your visual identity needs to be consistent. Your logo, your email signature, your, uh, you, you know, your, your newsletter, uh, the way your newsletters look, the way you're, and, then, and then ultimately the way your website looks is probably you know, this, this big statement to the market. And so we help companies do that. So all of that we put under clarity. Um, and the other side is connection where we go through this system, uh, we call it growth factor where we, we guide a company through those seven steps. It takes a little bit of time to implement, to implement the systems, use great tools, everything, social media, CRM, marketing automation, and, and the right 
the right human touch points to really guide the customer on the journey. So that's really what we do. There's, um, you know, we found we can't do everything. We, there's a lot of things we have to say no to. We don't do video. We're very specifically um, on that, that brand clarity. And it's hard to find paper at our office. We're mm. a digital, uh, it's a digital marketing agency. But we are something new and exciting, which, which I'm really excited about, is I'll go out and share with anyone. Because I, I feel like part of my calling and part of my love for customers is, is I know that if people embrace that framework of you know, connect, collect, cultivate, win, delight, grow, champion. If they if they embrace that with their business, they're going to be better. Um, so I love sharing it with people. And but a lot of customers go, man, that's great, but my business is only, you know, we're only a million dollars of revenue, and we just can't afford you because you know, with everything we do, we're bringing that high graphic design. Um, you know, and they're incredible artists and they want shoes too. They, you know, they got to get paid. We all have kids. So we, you know, sometimes we're, we're not affordable for just a, a total, a new startup or, you know, on that, on that growth factor side and the connection. So what we're, what we're working on now and we're going to have ready for market in mid-March is, is a way of almost a, a, a off the box kind of part training, part some tools where we can take in a startup or maybe a little bit smaller business and be able to implement this framework and implement some of these tools. So a little bit more DIY because they, they can't afford to have our designers making everything for them, right. but we can create the basic templates and tools to get them started. So I'm excited about to bring that to market because, you know, part of being a salesperson is I hate having to tell people no because right. uh, you work so hard to get people to, to say yes. So you hate it when you have to turn people away. So um, I love that we're going to have a, a little bit more range of offerings to a little bit, to a little bit larger market, a little bit onto the, the lower side of, of revenue earnings. We're going we're gonna to make our, some services available. Great. And if listeners want to get in touch with you to hear more about anything you've shared today, how can they do that? Yeah, certainly we're, we're on all the social media at Syrup Marketing. Um, I'm at Ty Anderson, T-A-I Anderson. Um, if you want to see my, my blogs and, and fun audio podcasts and all different things, it's at TaiSpeak, T-A-I speak. And, uh, but check out, check out the website, syrupmarketing.com. You'll see, we practice what we preach. It's very simple. Um, I think a lot of times I'm, I'm not great at this, but the fewer words you can use, the more effective it can be. Right. And so, um, I think our website's a great example of just like getting to the point and, you know, a, a great takeaway, a great last takeaway, if, even if you don't hire us, start doing this. Stop talking about yourself so much. Um, talk about how you make your customers' lives better. You know, if, if you look at the basic element of story, you know, a lot, of, a lot of brands try to make themselves the hero. They try to go, we are Luke Skywalker. We did this and great and won this award. We are Frodo. We took the ring all the way to Mordor and back. Stop trying to be the hero. Let the customer be the hero and you just be their guide. It's good enough to be Gandalf. It's good enough to be Obi-Wan. Let, let the customer have, that, have enough love to let them be honored and to be able to be in their shadow as you're helping your customer achieve their goals. Great. Thanks for being here, Ty. Thank you. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at AnonaEnterprises.com.